Hey, this is Jim Larrabee. I'm the lead pastor here at First Christian Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer is that the words you hear encourage you, that they challenge you, that they build your faith and draw you closer to Jesus. So, enjoy. Um, hey, First Kings chapter 3, if you're with me. So what, what Jim did is he was gone today and he said, hey, Pastor Josh, you can talk about anything you want. And so when you give the youth pastor free range to talk about anything they want, what I'm going to do is have us all clear the chairs and we're going to play dodgeball here in just a few. <laughs> uh, no, but how awesome would that be? I would destroy you anyway. It wouldn't be that fun for you. Um. No, I'm kidding. We're talking about wisdom today, and we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 3, and turn there, and we're going to start at verse 5. I'll give you a little bit of context for what's happening in the story. So there's this guy who's a pretty big deal. You've probably heard him before. His name was King David, and he was king of God's people. He was a man after God's own heart. He was kind of a big deal. Wasn't a perfect dude, but he was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. He's like Jesus' great, 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 great father. He, is, um, he was a, a big deal. In charge of God's people. Well, at some point, David dies and Solomon, his son, is set to inherit the throne. So Solomon becomes king. And this is kind of towards the beginning of his kingship. We're going to pick up this text because an interesting discourse happens between Solomon and none other than the Lord. And this is the account of that conversation. So we're going to start 1 Kings 3, 5 to 13. It says, That night... The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Now, before we go any further, if God said that to you in a dream, and he was like, Bro, listen, anything you want, I got you. Like, I know for me, like, the laundry list, the scroll comes out, like, it's so big it rolls down this way out the back door, right? Like, I got some things I would ask God for. I don't know what you would ask God for, but it'd be a pretty cool moment for God to to speak in and, and him to just be like, what's up? What do you want? And what's interesting to me is that Solomon, in wisdom, takes a moment of pause and thinks about this question before answering. Because when God asks you, what do you want? Name it, and I'll give it to you. Man, we better, we better answer right. We better answer what we, something we really want and we're really after. And so check this out. Solomon replies, You showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O oh Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous, they cannot be counted. And so Solomon, when asked from God, what do you want? Has a moment where he stops and he comes to terms with the weight of his role, right? This guy's king of Israel. This is God's people. 
He's going to be in charge economically. He's going to be in charge spiritually. He's going to be the chief justice in the land, right? In that day, in, in, in monarchies, it was all centered around the king. And so he was going to be the guy over all the things in Israel. And he recognizes that on his own, he cannot do it alone. In fact, he is like a little child that does not know his way around. And I can't even tell you the amount of times, though I am not the king of Israel, thank God, I can't even tell you the amount of times when I have felt the same thing in my life, where as a follower of Jesus, and as a husband, and as a father, and as a pastor, where I just feel like I can't do it all, where I don't have the wisdom, the ability to do what it takes to do any of this well. Maybe I could do it all, but I wouldn't do it all well. And so I wind up juggling and, and dropping some of the stuff as it as it as just too much to handle. And I'm just curious if you've been there. In the roles of life that we have, if we've been there, feeling like in our flesh, we cannot carry the weight of this role, or all the roles that we're having to carry. If you have been there, you're in good company with King Solomon and many other greats in the Bible. But what's interesting, and here's what I want to just make sure we mention, um, is that we, we have these moments of like, that we can't do it, that we don't have what it takes But here's a little bit of a tricky nuance to our situation in 21st century America is that we recognize sometimes that we can't do it all. Maybe individually, we kind of know in our hearts, like, I can't, I can't do it. But American culture celebrates and perpetuates the idea of autonomy, individuality, and most dangerously, self-sufficiency. And so sometimes when we're in these moments of, I can't do it all, it can feel like utter failure. It can feel like we have failed and, and, and we're just a train wreck because, well, one, we recognize we can't do it all, but then two, we are kind of stacked up against a culture that says you should be able to do it all. You should be self-sufficient. You should be autonomous. You should be your own person. And I got to say, man, there's nothing inherently wrong with being able to stand up on our own two feet and have some strength, right? God has given us feet for a reason, given us strength to be able to do things for a reason, But in our culture, what we've done is we've abandoned the idea of looking at our culture objectively. We've abandoned the ability to look at the things that our culture celebrates and to look at them with a discerning eye. Because you're either on the right or the left, and you got to pick a side. Or whatever the, the issue of the day is, we've abandoned this idea in our culture that we, that we can look at it objectively. And to see, maybe the things that we celebrate as a culture, and don't get me wrong, I love being an American. It's an amazing, beautiful country to live in. But what we have to do as followers of Jesus is we have to cling to our, our identity first as followers of his kingdom, and then secondly, the followers of whatever else, right? So his kingdom is the trump card. So that gives us the freedom as, as people of God to look at the American culture objectively and see, hey, is there something wrong with this? Because what we have is we live in a time where we value you do you, you live your own truth. Those ideas have taken over, and within three minutes, I've taken this to be really tense and weird. I can feel it in the room. And I promise we're not going off in this direction, a whole discourse about this. But I need, if, if we are going to understand this text rightly today, we have to make sure we look at it in the right context, 
right? King Solomon is, is taking on the role of king in the midst of the Israeli culture, in the midst of the culture of God's people. And he recognizes he has to have humility to be able to do it. And so today, as we look at our own life through what we're going to talk about today, we have to recognize the backdrop, the context. We are following Jesus, but we also live in this American culture that sometimes blinds us from some things. So we celebrate self-sufficiency, autonomy, and individualism, and we, we hold these things as valuable. But yet, one in five Americans has a severe mental health problem. And many of us, know someone or have personally walked through like different kinds of addictions and and abuses as we try to cope with life and handle things. There's, There's all kinds of different vices that we've used to try to deal. And I'm not saying that there's necessarily causality there, but could there be a correlation? We have to look at things objectively for what they are. So what well, this is not going to be is that kind of sermon, but I got to, I got to press in there a little bit before we get started because we are a product of the culture that we live in, whether we like it or not. And that culture can bleed over into the church and into the people of God, which is, this is what makes Solomon's conversation with the Lord so good for us to hear. Because though Solomon, through earthly standards, had every right to be proud and haughty, I mean, he was the king of Israel. He was the guy. He could just say what he wanted to say and do what he wanted to do, and no one could question it or challenge it or have an issue with it. He had power and influence. He had wealth and status. He had it all. And in the face of all that, Solomon rejects the idea of self-sufficiency and says, Lord, I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. This humility is marked and tangible. And Many of us, of course, we feel this way maybe in our hearts and in our souls, like we don't have what it takes to do all that we need to do. Maybe we kind of, in our spirit, we kind of know this, but yet when we cling to this idea of of our American self-sufficient culture, even though in our spirit we know we can't do it all, we like to put on the facade that we can. We like to have it all together. We like to just be a man and suck it up and you can do this, right? And so we put on our Sunday best and we come to church and we sing and we worship and so we kind of shed a little tear because what's going on is kind of in- impacting our life, but we don't really want to be authentic and real about it because that would show weakness and vulnerability, right? Maybe not all of us understand what I'm talking about, but I know some of us do. When was the last time we got real with the people in our lives and say, I don't have what it takes to do this? Solomon, with every excuse to be proud, actually finds himself in a place of humility. And from that place of humility, what does Solomon ask the Lord for? Verse 9, Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So in humility, Solomon asks for wisdom, an understanding heart to know the difference between right and wrong, to not have to govern alone, and it pleases God. So God replies, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice, and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies. Which, side note, right, if God's going to ask you, like, hey, what do you want? So many people are like, man, make it look like an accident, God, but if you could just make that happen, right? Like, you know. I'm not going to name any names. I'm just kidding. Um, 
But God's like, listen, you didn't ask for something selfish, Solomon. You asked for something that would benefit my people and benefit my kingdom. And because you didn't ask for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what I've asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. God says yes to this prayer for wisdom. And in fact, God will always say yes to prayers for wisdom. James actually talks about this in chapter one. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, which is such a cool thing to think about that then and now when we need wisdom, if we ask God, we don't have to wonder what the answer is going to be. It's just, yes, you can, here here you go. Here's some wisdom. And I will also give you what you did not ask for riches and fame. Verse 13. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. Now, what's actually interesting is if you did uh, Solomon's total wealth, this guy wound up being the richest king of his time. He had the cattle on a thousand hills. He had all the wisdom, all the status, and all the money in, in that he could ever want. And if you take that and if you adjust that for currency differences and inflation over the thousands of years that it's been since Solomon... If you adjust all that, Solomon is still the wealthiest person who has ever lived. Yeah, crazy. So God's like, he wasn't, he wasn't just kidding when he said that. God really made Solomon the wealthiest, wisest person who has ever lived. So on top of this, not only does God give Solomon wisdom, he gives Solomon's life so many earthly blessings. And it's interesting is that when there's, oh, this cable's going to bother me. Uh, when there's wisdom... It was bothering some of you. I know it was. You're welcome. (laughs) Definitely Jonah up there in the tech booth. When we do things wisely, blessings follow. When we do things wisely, blessings follow. Why? Well, one, God talks about how he actively honors wisdom. When God sees someone seeking wisdom, he specifically is like, hey, I want to bless that person for seeking it out. Because when you ask for wisdom, he says, yes. Right, So every time you ask for wisdom, God says, yes, he wants to give you said wisdom. And number two, check this out. The way that God has designed the human experience is typically wise decisions lead to healthy things, right? Like, think of it this way. If you save money, which is a wise thing to do, you are more protected from financial disaster. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I struggle with saving money. I would way rather travel because saving money is not that fun and traveling is way more fun, right? But, and some of you know what I'm talking about. But if we do the wise thing and save the money and invest our money, right, then we protect ourselves in the future from financial disaster. If we take care of our body, we're less likely to get sick. In all areas of life, when we make wise choices, though they might be the more annoying and more difficult and harder choices in the moment because they require delayed gratification, in almost every instance, it leads to health. And so that's how God has wired our human experience, which is pretty cool. So not only does God actively honor wisdom, it's kind of designed into our, our world's DNA that wisdom leads to health. Now, there's always things that come in. There's the dark horse event, right, or something that happens and it just doesn't go quite right and, you know... The best laid plans of mice and men. That's not scripture, but you know what I'm talking about. Things sometimes still get messed up, but by and large, wise choices lead to health. So let's think about this for a second. If that's, if that's the truth, we, we have to answer a, a fundamental question here today. And the question is, what is wisdom? What actually is wisdom? 
Because we use the word, but what is it? And many of us equate it to knowledge. Wisdom, knowledge. If you know enough stuff, you can, you can, you can figure it out, right? But actually, it's not knowledge. And here's how I know. Because we live in a society today where you can know anything about everything. You can Google search. You can podcast. You can watch instructional videos on YouTube. You can get a higher education. You can get like 17 degrees if you want. You can do all kinds of things to get more knowledge in our life. But here's the thing, you and I are all acutely aware of the idea that as time goes on, and more and more information and knowledge is available to us, in fact, we live in the most knowledge-rich period in human history ever, today, and then tomorrow, there will be more information and knowledge that wasn't here today, that will become available tomorrow. So we'll only get more information and knowledge rich, but as time goes on, and we get more knowledge and information in our world... You and I look around our world, and it is clear that things are not getting better. And most people would say that we're actually trending towards worse. Maybe locally, statewide, nationwide, worldwide. We're trending in the wrong direction. And how is that possible? If if we know more, if we have more information, how are we trending in the wrong direction? So an increase of knowledge does not lead to more health. And knowledge is good, but it's not enough just to know something, right? Like, you can be like me, and you, or I'll just say someone, not going to name names, but it's me, um, where you got a gym membership a while ago, like years back when you were in college, and uh, you thought that it would be fun to go to the gym and do all the things, and then while you went to the gym, and while your friends all worked out, you you sat somewhere else and ate pizza, right? So like, and I'm like, why, why do I, am I not getting in shape, right? It's because like I, I had the gym membership. I knew that the gym was a good thing, but it's like I would rather eat pizza. And so maybe it's that, or you know that vegetables are good for you and they're healthy and they're amazing, but unless you eat said vegetable, you're not gonna get the benefit from it. Wisdom isn't knowledge. Me knowing that the gym is a good thing doesn't actually change anything. Me knowing that vegetables are healthy does not change anything. So then wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is a little bit deeper, and I want to just say it this way. Wisdom is applying knowledge, applying knowledge according to truth, or more simply put, applying truth. Now, I'm going to use the capital T truth because in our society, there's a lot of places where people claim to have truth. You live your truth. I live my truth. I would push back and say, that's actually just your opinion. There's one truth. God says he is the way, the truth, and the life, not a way, a truth, and a life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Christ. And so we know that there is one truth. There is absolute truth. It is not objective. It is not subject to a changing cultural tide. God's word is the way. God's word is the truth. God's word is the life. And so when I say truth, I see capital T truth. It's the truth of God. So wisdom is applying knowledge in accordance with the capital T truth of God. Or simply applying capital T truth. It's the ability to take what we know and put it into action. So wisdom, more simply, is something that we do. Wisdom is something we do. 
Not necessarily something we know. Here's how I I prove this. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses is speaking to the Israelites and he is about to lead them into the promised land. And he says this, look, I now teach you these decrees and regulations that the Lord has commanded me. Right? So I'm going to teach you. I'm going to give you knowledge. I'm going to give you information. I'm going to put stuff in your head to, to decrees and regulations so that you may obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. Obey them completely, verse 6, and you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. When they hear all these decrees, they will explain how wise and how prudent are the people of this great nation. What is the key to wisdom? It is knowing the decrees and regulations and then obeying the decrees and regulations. It's not enough simply to know. And then what's the blessing? It talks about they're going to be set apart. They're going to be different than the world around them. They're going to have peace. They'll enjoy God and each other. Will they be rich by the world standards? Maybe, maybe not. Will they be successful by the world standards? Maybe, maybe not. But they will be wise, prudent, and and great according to God's standards. And I'm going to make a safe bet to say that many of us in this room woke up today wanting a piece of our life to be more set apart like that, to be more wise, to be more prudent, to be great according to God's standards. Because I can guarantee that no one rolled out of bed. I was like, oh, I can't wait to go to church. What a good day. We're going to learn how to train wreck my life. And it's going to be so great. This is, let's just, let's learn how to sabotage everything. Let's learn how to do things unwise. Let's learn how to, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you wake up. The reason we're here is because we believe in some, in varying degrees, that there is some truth in here that might make a difference. And there is some truth in here that might make all the difference. And we want that not only for our walk with Jesus, but we want that in our marriages. We want that in our finances. We want that in our families. We want that in our health. We want to be able to have this wisdom, to be prudent in our choices, to have this freedom, this peace that surpasses all understanding. So we show up to church and we want it. And we're here for it. So today... What I want to do, since we want that, we've agreed that we all kind of on the same page here. Well, you didn't agree. Maybe, maybe you didn't, but I got the microphone. So, um, we want that and we want to, we want to push in today. And I want to ask with the humility of Solomon, will you consider the answer to this question? What decrees and regulations are you and I obeying right now? In other words, If wisdom is tied to obedience, what are we being obedient to today, right now? What drives your choices? What guides our decisions? Because we live, this is where it comes full circle, because we live with a backdrop of American culture that says autonomy and independence and self-sufficiency, we believe that our feelings are top dog. Do what you feel. Do what feels right. We believe our thoughts are top dog. Whatever you want, you go for. We believe our ideas are in charge. And these sometimes are a little bit hard to handle because we're just, we just grew up with this. We grew up in this culture that tells us that you are always right. What you want to do, your autonomy, your independence, our, our self-sufficiency, whatever you got to do to make that happen, that's correct. But the Bible says the human heart is deceitful and wicked. Who knows how bad it is? So, friends, I want to just, in in humility and in love, just tell you, do you know who has the best chance of deceiving you? It's you. 
You know who has the best chance of deceiving me? It's me. Friends, your feelings are legitimate. Your thoughts can be legitimate. Your ideas can be legitimate. But they're not trustworthy. We cannot trust them. And I'm not saying that they're never right either because God gave us a brain and God gave us emotions and he made us in his image, right? He, like sometimes they're right. But here's, here's, let me just put it this way. If you knew someone, some of you actually do know this person. If you knew someone that lied to you 40% of the time, 30% of the time, 20% of the time, okay? Maybe even 10% of the time, you would not consider them trustworthy because even if they only lied to you 20% of the time, that 20% deception makes you question 100% of what they say. And that would be a wise choice, right? Like, you, you, would wanna, you would wanna think through that. Even if it's only 10%, that 10% of things they say that would be a lie would make you question 100% of what they say. And rightfully so. And if that person came to you and was like, no, 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 bro, I'm, I promise you, I'm telling you the truth. If they have that track record of deceiving you 10 or 20% of the time, even though it's not that much of the time, you would still, in wisdom, try to verify what they're saying with a reliable source so that you could trust them, right? I mean, that's, that's just common sense. But guess who the person that lies to you is? It's, it's you. Guess who the person that lies to me? It's, it's me. It's our feelings. It's our thoughts. It's our ideas. Now, even if they're accurate 80% of the time, we can't simply accept them because that 20% leaves room for doubt. And so what we have to do is we have to check our thoughts, we have to check our feelings, we have to check our ideas against a reliable outside third party. And the outside third party that I know that is reliable, that is trustworthy and true, is the word of God, which remains unchanging. So, if every decision that we make is based on how we feel in that given moment, that's not wisdom. Our thoughts can be great, we can have some great ideas, but they will always be subject to sinful nature on, on this side of eternity. So they're not a great guide for life. You guys see where I'm going with this. So in humility, with the humility of Solomon, we have to recognize that our way is not wise. Following our feelings is not wise. Following our culture is not wise. Wisdom is hearing the truth of God and then rightly applying that truth to our life. God is wise, I'm not. God is wise, we're not. God is wise, sorry, Pastor Jim, he's not. God is wise, our president is not. There's no person this side of eternity that has wisdom other than the Lord. So the only way that wisdom finds its way into this world and into our lives is through the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. So the two questions we have to ask every time we are listening to the word of God is one, what does the word of God say? And two, will I obey? Because wisdom is not found in hearing, wisdom is found in doing. Will I obey? Do I hear it? And will I obey it? James actually says this in chapter 1, verse 22. Don't just listen to God's word. We must do what it says. Otherwise, we're only fooling ourselves. For if we listen to the word of God and don't obey, it's like glancing at our face in a mirror. We see ourselves, walk away, and forget what we look like. But if we carefully look into the perfect law that sets us free, and if we do what it says, and don't forget what we heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Here's what I struggle with being a product of church culture. I grew up in the church. My 
parents taught Sunday school. I was a kid who was always like, mom, can we leave? Right? And now, and now I'm, you know, roles reversed. You, you know, I'm trying to talk to people and Jet's running around feral, climbing trees and throwing rocks and things like that. Um, Here's where I struggle. I grew up in church culture, and I have been immersed against the backdrop of this culture, and I, I, I kind of I wrestle with comfort. So what I do is I come to church, I get my coffee, I bring my journal, I sit in my padded seat, someone watches my kid, right? And if you're a kid's ministry worker, especially the 1015 service, God bless you, because you're watching my kid. Um, and it takes a little extra effort, because, you know, he's crazy, and kids are crazy. But we, the point I'm trying to make here is that we've tried to make church comfortable, and we like comfortable church. We like these things that just tell us that, hey, you're doing good. Just keep on keeping on. But at the end of the day, what I, in the backdrop against, against the backdrop of that, what I sometimes wrestle with is I'll just come and I'll sit and I'll hear and be like, that was a good sermon. And I'll leave completely unchanged. And I'll leave doing exactly what I did before I came in, not making any decisions to obey anything I just heard. I'll just like walk out and be like, sweet, that was rad. See you next week. And as a pastor, I wrestle with that. And I can't preach this message without being honest with you about that. I struggle with it. And if I struggle with it, I guarantee there's at least one other person in this room who gets what I'm saying. Friends, the point of the padded seats, the comfortable experience, the coffee, the caffeine, someone watching your kid, is so that we can have a distraction-free place to come and hear the word of God and experience what God has for us. But the bigger point to all that is that we might obey it and live differently throughout the rest of the week. It's about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. But if you're coming here and our experience is based around Sunday, then we're doing it wrong. We need to have the wisdom not just to hear the word of God but to obey the word of God. Now, three last things as I close. One, what I'm not talking about is works righteousness. You are righteous because of Jesus' death and burial on the, on the cross and resurrection three days later. And when you put your faith in Jesus and trust him, you are completely in that moment, washed clean of your sin. And when God looks at you, he sees Christ and you are righteous, made perfect and holy and blameless in his sight. Even though you may still struggle with sin in our life and wrestle with obeying the word of God. When you believe in Jesus, you are made righteous by your faith. It's by grace and grace alone that we are saved, not by our works, not by our merit. So I want to be very careful to say that God isn't looking at us and being like, well, you didn't do the word of God this week, so shame on you, right? No, God, we work from our righteousness, not for our righteousness, okay? So in wisdom, when we do things that are in wisdom, we're working from a place of security and safety and freedom, not for it. You already have it. Your salvation is secure. Secondly, there's no expectation of perfection. When God impresses a truth in a sermon or in a podcast or in an experience like this, when he puts it on your heart, and I trust the Holy Spirit to take the wisdom of Scripture and to impress it on our hearts right where we need to hear it, and because and, everyone's got a different journey and story, Jesus is not expecting perfection. He's not saying, okay, now go and obey and do it perfect. God knows that this is a two-step forward, one-step back kind of journey. But the point that what we're trying to get at is that we actually just, we take a step. May we leave the, the sermon, and when it says, go live it above the doors on your way out, that's one of our church values. It's like, not just, we didn't just come and hear it, now we're going to go live it. So we're going to take a step. And listen, a marathon is a long way. It's 26.2 miles, but how do you want to run a marathon? One step at a time. 
And so as we live the marathon of faith one step at a time, we're not trying to do the whole journey at once to be perfect all at once. We're just trying to do what God's asked us to do right here, right now. Just take a step. And some of us know what that is. As I'm talking about it, the Holy Spirit is putting on our heart. It's putting it on our mind right now. The Holy Spirit is trying to get our attention into our marriage, into our finances, into our workplace, into our, how we handle our employees, how we handle our boss, how we handle our kids. The Holy Spirit has been trying to get our attention. And right now you're thinking, it's time for me to wake up and actually listen to what he's telling me and obey it because in that there's wisdom and in wisdom there's life and health. Lastly, we can't do it all at once. It's about the next right step, right? The Holy Spirit in his grace does not convict us of all of it, of all the stuff that we got to work on at one time. He just picks one or two things and is like, let's work on that. Let's work on that. Let's work on that. It's a gentle one or two things at a time because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And in his name, there is freedom from our sin. So what I'm not saying is that this is, this is not a do all the things message once you leave from here. To, to live wisely. What I am asking us to do is to consider the one wise choice that God is asking us to do and to live wisely and do it. What does it look like? Some of us are still wrestling with what that is. Some of us don't even know this person named Jesus yet. And we're just trying to get our mind around all this. And this is kind of hard to process. And no matter where you're at on the journey, Jesus wants to meet you there and help you become more like him. Friends, the weight of this world is heavy. And we all have temptations all the way around our life to turn inward to look for wisdom. But it's not found there. It is not found anywhere in ourselves, in our culture, in this world. It is found through the word of God. If we want to live wisely, if we want to live a life that journeys toward health and freedom and hope, yes, it starts by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior and living from that righteousness. But then it continues. Sanctification is just a fancy word of becoming more like Jesus. As we become sanctified over the rest of our life, we find that as we do things Jesus' way, it's not usually the easy way, but it's the one that leads to health. It's not usually the easy way, but it's the one that leads to hope. It's not the easy way, but it's the one that repairs marriages. It's not the easy way, but it's the one that repairs finances. It's not the easy way, but it is the way to life. In wisdom, there is life. Because when we find wisdom, where we find wisdom? In the word of God. And in the word of God, there is life. So let me pray. Father, as always, your word is not mine. I pray we be faithful to what you put on our hearts. As you're leaning in, as you're gently convicting us, remind us that this is not about what we do, it's about what you've done. When you died on the cross and rose for us three days later, God, you put an end to Satan's sin and death. And though the battle still rages on, we know who wins the war. So as we show up today to hear the word of God, may we just not be people who hear the word of God, but actually live the word of God, to, to be doers of the word, because in that there is wisdom. Where we take this knowledge you've given us and rightly apply it. This knowledge not found in ourselves, this knowledge not found in our culture, this no this knowledge not found in the world, but in the word of God. May we seek that out and find life and life as you intended it. God, you remind us that you are trustworthy, that if you did not spare your own son for us, there's nothing you'd withhold. You want good for us. We can trust that your word is true. Your word is good. Now, God, give us the wisdom and ability to take one next right step this week into further obedience and conforming into the image of your son, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.
Hey, thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, don't forget to subscribe and share it with a friend. A special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. If you'd like to find out more information about giving or to see what's going on in the life of our church, please visit us at fccsantamaria.org. Thanks again for listening and God bless.